folks. We're here at OzCon. I am with Rachel and Roger. They are on the O'Reilly team. Uh, do you want to just introduce yourselves, uh, talk about what you do for OzCon? What, sure. What, what, yeah, what, what the big ideas are here? Yeah, yeah. So I'm Rachel Romeliotis. I'm a VP of content at O'Reilly, and I uh, have been chair of OzCon. This will be my fifth year, oh, wow. I think. Uh, Roger? So I'm the VP of Radar, which is the kind of forward-looking part of of uh, O'Reilly, and I help with um, internal content strategy, but also communicating the outside world what we think is taking place. And of course, open source is a very important topic right. to us. So I focus a lot on those kind of subjects. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Yeah, and so this year at OzCon, well, I guess about a year ago, I started thinking, Something's missing from OzCon because uh, cloud stuff isn't isn't represented because right. it's so much in turmoil. It's not necessarily open source and stuff. And you mm -hmm. can see um, from our keynotes today that we brought that in to discuss. But, you know, I still want this to be an open source conference. But do I bring these other uh, important factors up into sort of the same level of open source right. Uh, importance? Right. So one of them was cloud native. Another one was um, data driven. Data is sort of like the fuel and the software mm -hmm. is built around it. AI enhanced, as we heard in our last keynote from uh, Pete Skomarok, like basically like it's all AI all the time, but we still need to figure it out and it's super hard. Yep. And so that's starting to touch, I feel like Joe and Joanne developer. Mm -hmm. And then um, this is one that I thought was really um, prevalent, like customer centric. Right. That like whether it, the customer is another software developer, a line of business person or a consumer, we're much more savvy, I feel like. Yeah. So that, that was sort of the idea behind this year. And then mm -hmm. we did a lot of research behind it. Yeah. And if you, I don't know if you saw my presentation, but really the cloud stuff, it comes out really loud and clear. Oh, yeah. And, and one of the things that, and this is like, there's quantitative stuff, but it's also a qualitative thing. With machine learning, a lot of people just try it. Mm -hmm. If you're a programmer, you can try machine learning pretty easy, lots of right. courses and stuff. You don't just kind of try Kubernetes. <laughs> right. If you're doing Kubernetes, you're doing microservices. Oh yeah. Like you're orchestrating something. Yeah. You're not a dilettante. Mm -hmm. And so we see the growth of that. That helps drive that. And we're seeing the three major cloud vendors are all getting a lot more traction on our platform. Um, yeah. And Kubernetes is the fastest growing thing right now. Well, it, even uh, containerization. You know, yeah. you can't even dabble just with that. You know, you can set up a Docker file and kind of get part of the way there, but you got to spend some time. Yeah. And also once you do containers, and this is basically just maturity and complexity uh -huh. when we look at things, you got it down, you got it down, but it's so productive, you know, like yep. wherever you are, if you're developing here, you can put it on anything Yep, and it's great. And in some ways it's part of the commoditization of, 
um, what's going on. I think open source was really important to that. Oh yeah. It meant that the tools were, there was no friction between mm -hmm. you and the tools. Right? Yeah. And I mean, we're sort of looking at um, when we're developing content, either for OzCon or uh, with books or whatnot, mm -hmm. we're looking at solving problems and the tools right. can somewhat be interchangeable. Right. So it's like whatever makes sense for where you are. Mm -hmm. But um, what I liked about this year is that there's a lot of people um, that are like, I had this problem. This is how I'm solving it. Right. And so I like that it's leading with that rather than leading with a specific tool. Right. In fact, what our data showed was that like the languages are kind of way down in terms of uh, interest. And um, I think that's because they're just tools. Oh, yeah. People are thinking much more about the bigger picture of what it is they're trying to do yep. and sharing that at a place like OSCON. Makes sense. So what kind of data do you actually have to drive some of these decisions? Or is it mostly based on talking to people and kind of getting a feel for where things are and, you know, so, watching Twitter? I don't know. Yeah. So the pithy answer to that is we use math to vet our social network and our uh -huh. social network to vet our math. So we use okay. both. Both. Okay. Yeah. So the... the that the, sounds healthy. Yeah. Where the math comes in is that we've got this great sensor, the e-learning platform. Mm -hmm. We've got millions of users. We've got uh, a lot of Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies on there. And we see what they're doing. Oh, that we makes see sense. what they're interested in. We look at both search and usage. And mm -hmm. there's actually different patterns emerge from each. Search is a little more like the id of the mm -hmm. developers because it's like, I, I should probably look into this. Right. And usage is more about the engagement. You know, and something like Java, if you're a Java programmer, you it just takes longer to do stuff and you're going to look mm -hmm. some stuff more, you know, Python's a little maybe easier. So we know that there's those kind of differences right. between things, but um, we use that and it really uh, gives us a good pass at what we think the zeitgeist of developers are a little biased towards big companies mm -hmm. out of 60% of the audiences in 10,000 plus companies. But even with that, those are the people who are making both the, the money decisions and mm -hmm. probably more importantly, the developer hiring decisions. Right. And just for what it's worth, we look at cross industry. It's all the same. IT is IT. Uh, we see that not that much variance between people in different industries, even though the industries do so much different mm -hmm. stuff. But generally, they're building digital presence, and so they care about the cloud is how you do it. Right. Um, and we're, you know, cloud native kind of describes something, but we're calling the like, next step of that next architecture. Mm -hmm. And we mean cloud, container, orchestration, right. and microservices. And the evidence is that more and more companies are doing that, that we mm -hmm. see in, in the data. And, and I think there's years, right, of people still needing to do that. Uh, like, oh, we're yeah. at the leading edge. Yeah, yeah the, that's always the case, though, is that, yeah, you know, we get, we get people kind of going, okay, I understand the benefits. And then they get around to implementing you know, and, and these are processes that depending on the size of the organization and what their goals are, can take years uh, or it can take months. I mean, if they're moving fast and willing to break things. I mean, yeah, we think this is I think it's going to be like a decade. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's almost like the way like when you think about light traveling, mm -hmm. right? Some people, the lights reach them. Other people, it's 100, you know, yeah, yeah, 100 yeah. days yeah. off or whatever. Yeah. Um, and we have a lot to learn. I mean, collectively, we've got a lot to learn. And yeah. so I think, you know, being engaged and kind of and open to learning, you know, just like the decomposition part of microservices, it's not like natural. It's right. not easy. You really got to think about it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that you can give someone a rule of thumb for that. So we expect that collectively we'll figure stuff out. And if we can share 
then everyone's just better off. Yeah. Uh, well, it's interesting too. I mean, a lot of people we kind of take for uh, take it. Uh, we take for granted some of the things around technology, like the internet, for example, right? But it's really only been around for what twenty five years, right? You know, and so it, it it took it ten years to permeate everything. You know, smartphones. You see a whole lot of, more of them now, and you know, the iPhone's what 10, 11, 12 years old. You know, and so you you yeah, you've got these trends. You know, just in the general population and a lot of the other trends that you see in programming, it feels like it's moving faster. And in some ways it is. But you're right. You know, a lot of these, especially the infrastructure changes, it, it takes time and it takes effort and, and, and things to move ahead because what you have works. And so you've got to figure out where the benefits and where the trade offs are, not only for what that is versus what I'm using, but also how what do I have to put into it to get there? Well, we saw, I mean, 10 years ago, we started Velocity, which was mm -hmm. starting to talk about DevOps. And stuff. Right. So, and I feel like that's just now sort of something everybody knows about. Yeah. Yeah. I think four years ago, we had a Bitcoin blockchain mm -hmm. event, we mm -hmm. like pretty far ahead of. Yeah. That was a little early. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's the nature of O'Reilly. Yeah. We, we tend to be early on stuff. And, um, you know, one of Tim's favorite expressions is the William Gibson quote about the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. Mm -hmm. And I think we see that. And that's one yep. of the reasons, you know, the Bay Area with its uh, strong uh, venture capital uh, infrastructure and stuff, um, people are able to get that future going earlier because right. they don't have that momentum and the legacy and all that stuff. And then it looks kind of cool. And, and, and sometimes it's like really effective. And then people want to jump on that. But it's going to take time. To move off of this stuff, so it's it's, it's pretty normal. I right. think what's going on sure. is that you, there's almost no other way to to do it. Mm -hmm. You're at a big company. You also probably have a lot more risk mitigation in what you're doing than if you're at a startup where you fail, you fail. Yeah, that makes sense. So, how do you take all this data and Roger's brain and plug it into the program that you put together for us? That's a great question. So. Um, Wow. So I do, I see a lot of the proposals that we have uh, come in for the books and the videos and the online training. I see all of the proposals. We have over a thousand, almost 2000 in OzCon. Uh, I talk to Roger a lot mm -hmm. and um, I look at, you know, sales histories. I um, talk to people and I don't know, that's, that's what's, it's funny because I've tried to explain it before and it's sort of just it congeals in my brain <laughs> <laughs> and I sort of have to weigh, like with OzCon, for instance, I weigh Where's the audience at? Like, I need to have a little bit sort of future looking stuff. I need to have what they're um, looking at right now. Are there any people trailing? Like one thing we talked about was Docker. Like mm -hmm. two, three years ago, it was like Docker 101, Docker 101. Oh, yeah. Like it was crazy. And then people were like, okay, we got it. And then it turned to Kubernetes. So interestingly, I feel like Kubernetes is staying along a, a well, little That's the complexity thing. Yeah. All right. Docker is a lot simpler to... Mm -hmm. um, internalize and make right. it part of your plan. Kubernetes, there's still a lot of development going on. Right. And it's more complicated. It's doing a way more complicated thing. So yeah. it's just it's just looking at the past and thinking about the future and thinking about this audience of OzCon, which mm -hmm. I've gotten to know over the past few years and figuring out what makes sense. I mean, OzCon is a very wide in terms of content. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's very different than like a KubeCon or a DockerCon. Right. It's like all about that. Oh, yeah. So it's this... We changed from um, sort of like the tracks were being like Python and Perl and all this stuff to that problem solution kind of thing. And and so we try to do that with like um, and make sure we still sprinkle in community 
one of the cool things that we started was the live coding track where we oh, like nice. allowed no slides. So I like that because it shows people it, yeah. what they really do. Like, uh -huh. oh, made a mistake. Got to go back this type of stuff. So just like to, you know, help yeah. developers. Well, and, and that's what people like about things like Twitch. And, mm -hmm. You know, it's you kind of get a real view on what people are doing. It's not. I mean, even if they practice it, it's still. Oh, definitely. You know, of course, you know, they, the demos always go wrong. So that's kind of <laughs> that's what we should like subtitle. The show. It's all going to go know, wrong. It just. People often ask for case studies. Mm -hmm. And I think case studies on a success are just rationalizing luck. Yeah. The real learning is failure. Yeah. And um, well, every, everyone fails and, yeah. and, and learns from those I, things. I have and, considered a failure track. Yeah. But I don't yeah. know. I don't just, know how just go over there and have somebody unplug the Wi-Fi periodically on Right. Chaos. Chaos engineering. Yeah, there yeah. you go. I like that. Chaos track. Anyways, I'll think about that for next year. One of the biggest pain points that I find as I talk to people about software is deployment. It's really interesting to have the conversations with people where it's, I don't want to deal with Docker. I don't want to deal with Kubernetes. I don't want to deal with setting up servers. I don't, you know, all of these different things. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has gotten a lot easier. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has also kind of embraced a certain amount of culture around applications, the way we build them, the way we deploy them. And I've really felt for a long time that developers need to have the conversations with DevOps or adopt some form of DevOps so that they can take control of what they're doing and really understand when things go to production, what's going on so that they can help debug the issues and fix the issues and find the issues when they go wrong and help streamline things and make things better and slicker and easier so that they'll more generally go right. So we started a podcast called Adventures in DevOps. And I pulled in one of the hosts from one of my favorite DevOps shows, Nell Shamrell Harrington from the Food Fight Show. And we got things rolling there. And so this is more or less a continuation of the Food Fight Show where we're talking about the things that go into DevOps. So if you're struggling with any of these operational type things, then definitely check out Adventures in DevOps. And you can find it at adventuresindevopspodcast.com. So um, I'm also curious how you pick where you're going to hold it. Is, oh, is yeah. it always here so, or um, it's mostly so uh, most recently we brought it to Austin for a couple uh -huh. of years. We were back here for the uh, 20th anniversary uh, last year. We're here this year. We're here next year. Um, people seem to really love it here in Portland. Um, we um, brought it to Austin because we wanted to give other people from around the country that might not come up here an opportunity to come uh, and learn, which I think we did. Mm -hmm. But it seems like. Um, for some reason, this is like the sweet spot for us. The Portland right. in the middle of July, people people like to come up here. Yeah, we only like to have it in places where their tagline is. Oh yes, that the city is weird. Yeah, Austin <laughs> and Portland. Portland keep Austin it weird, Portland, right? Portland, that keep it weird yeah. is their tagline. Yeah, but there's a strong open source community up here, mm -hmm. and we because we've been holding it so long up here, it's. It's yeah. really strong relationships. It's between the north, you know, it's between Seattle and the area, yeah. I think, keeps it really strong. And I don't know where you're based, but... I'm based out of Salt Lake City. Okay. After this, we can talk a little about that. Um, <laughs> but Portland is also a lovely city. It really is. Yeah. You know, and the weather's almost always like this. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, what's kind of the history of OSCON? Like, what, you probably know better than I do, <laughs> but it started as a Pearl Conference, as far yeah. as I know. Oh, really? Yes. yes. Uh, way Monterey. back in the day. 
Monterey, California, and then um, sort of evolved more as sort of open source evolved. But you you were you know more than I do. So the story is is that they brought a bunch of the people who were talking about some people called it free software at the time mm -hmm. to an O'Reilly mediated event right in Monterey associated with that Pearl conference, and they were trying to figure out what should they call this. Mm -hmm. And well, I forget her name. Her last name is Peterson. She's at the uh, Foresight Institute now. Came up with the name Open Source, and they all kind of agreed that that would be a good name for it. And so having come up with the name and noticing what was going on, they changed the name of the conference to Open Source Conference and wanted to expand the presence of it. And you know, when it started, Larry Wall worked for mm -hmm. O'Reilly. And uh, I remember, it might have been like 2005 or 2006, Larry Guido von Rossum, who wrote mm -hmm. Python, Python. Mm -hmm. and Matt, I don't know how to say his full name, but the guy who wrote Ruby, mm -hmm. were walking across the street here, across the railroad tracks, and they were in such a deep conversation, they weren't looking. I thought, if a Max train comes by, there goes the whole open source movement. <laughs> right. In one swoop. I would um, pay money to get a photo of that. I, you know, I did this before smartphones. Right. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. so I didn't, I didn't uh, have, wasn't able to take a picture of it. So it started off from very much a governance kind of focus. And what does it mean? Because at the time, open source was so esoteric mm -hmm. and countercultural. Oh, yeah. It's like hippie-ish. And sometime around 2010, it was clear open source had won. Oh, yeah. And that that's the way the tools that modern developers mm -hmm. use get developed. And so this is when Rachel was talking about the expanding and kind of holistic development approach. That's when that really became more at the forefront is that because of one, now everyone, big right. corporations to little uh, shops wanted to be part of it. And for big companies, they needed to learn more about it. So we've gotten a lot more presence of enterprises as they realize that it might be better to change the code yourself than to yell at someone, which is yeah. the argument against open source. Mm -hmm. I need to be able to yell at someone. Um, yeah, and I think it's important. Yeah. So open source won, but I think mm -hmm. it needs to be tended. I think yeah. we need to listen to what got it got us here and then keep evolving and listen to new That's right. And yeah. I think we can get into the kind of subtle parts <laughs> of what it takes to make that ecosystem continue to work. Yeah. And it will certainly evolve. And it's not the answer to everything. It's just... It's yeah. a good answer for a lot of things. Well, and it's interesting just to see how it's evolved. I mean, um, yesterday morning I had an interview with the open source VP of open source dev relations at SAP, right? Oh, and they're like, a, yeah. they're like a logistics company. And I'm mm -hmm. sitting there going open source at SAP. You know, we had a great conversation, but it was just interesting, you know, um, Microsoft for a long time felt like the bastion of the closed source oh, absolutely. movement. Right. And about four or five years mm -hmm. ago, uh, I was contacted by Richard Campbell, who does the .NET Rocks yep. podcast, um, and uh, Carl Franklin. And uh, they had gotten a directive from Microsoft, reach out to our open source friends and have them come to Microsoft conferences to talk about our technologies. And, you know, so I've gone to Microsoft Build, Microsoft mm -hmm. Ignite, um, Microsoft Connect for the last four or five years. And so it's really interesting just to see this movement and see where it's all come from. Um, and I came up in the Ruby community and, you know, just to see, you know, it, I kind of took that embrace for granted. But, you know, where we are now, even compared to then, you know, when I started, you know, 12, 13 years ago, it's it's leaps and strides. That's why I think it's so important to have um, 
like the cloud providers here mm-hmm. who are sort of finding their way. Like we don't need to vilify anyone. We need to like bring them in and talk with them. Well, that's where we're running our open source software now anyway, right? Oh, yes. Those systems are not open source. But heck, if people aren't running their open source software on there, I, you know, it's 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 a they're part of the conversation. Yeah. You know, and just on the Microsoft front, I mean, their earnings announcement today, they're worth over a trillion dollars. Oh, I wow. I would say the open source uh, transition worked. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it totally worked. Um, I, I think I think the strategies they employed before were effective for them. But yeah, um, Satya Nadella, him taking things into the open source space, in my opinion, I think it saved Microsoft. I don't think they'd be around in the same way without it. Yeah, I think it helped legitimize them to uh, the class of developers who wouldn't touch it before because the walled garden was very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And now they're in a walled garden and there's a lot of JavaScript, you know, and Mm -hmm. Hadoop and whatever. Um, Yeah, it was a smart smart move and um, it's paid off. So open source is, it's not just the thing, it's worth something. Yeah, absolutely. So what's coming next? Gosh. Uh, well, so next year, one of the things I, or a couple of the things I want to think about uh, for open are sort of like open data sets, uh, open AI, like mm-hmm. ethics bias, like taking that sort of like machine learning black box and and opening it, right? So that we can figure out, um, so that we can see what's happening. Like a lot of industries need to see what's happening, mm-hmm. but I think we all should kind of understand what's happening there. So I think that's sort of the next place open source really needs to push. Um, that's my take on it. And I'd like to have that next year. Yeah. Yeah. It's an important topic for us. We've been doing some writing on this. And I think with AI, one of the, um, when you get beyond the utopian uh, perspective on AI, what I think is going to really... Or if you read science fiction, the dystopian. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's an interesting conversation to have. It certainly is. Um, but it's going to most inhibit AI. I think there's two things that are most going to inhibit it. One is that it's non-deterministic, which is a different approach to mm-hmm. software than... Right. Traditionally, you expect your project to finish and work, mm-hmm. and you can't always expect that with AI. So the notion of a portfolio, a part of it. But the other thing is that taking care of bias, it's not just being a, that you want to be a good citizen. Unfairness stinks. Yeah. You can uh-huh. feel it. And so it's an imperative to be mm-hmm. able to go in and say, I, yeah, I need to put in a filter around unfairness and stuff. So we want to see this succeed. Mm-hmm. So we want people to think about it. If you saw my slides from the talk before, security has gotten mm-hmm. the Oh, topic, yes. Right? Well, security is really important to us because it's not secure. People aren't going right. to go in the, go in this direction. So it's And you can really hurt people if uh, you're not secure. Well, you've seen it, right? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's like if you're just working in, in the kind of a straight A, uh, vector on what's possible and you don't consider these other things, you end up mm-hmm. not realizing this kind of like taking a big systemic view of things, what the impacts might be. Right. So mm-hmm. I think going and, and highlighting those and making people aware is a great step in, in making this yeah. stuff all work better. Yeah. One, one thing I want to go back to the idea on bias, because I, I agree with you. I mean, you want it to be fair. You want it to work for everybody and be effective for everybody. But the other thing that's interesting is, is that a lot of times we're using AI to essentially draw conclusions that we can't naturally come to on our own. And so the other angle I see on bias is that we have to be able to verify the results in some ways and be willing to accept results that we don't necessarily like or expect. And so it's 
there's a lot that goes into it and a lot of conversations that I think are going to come out of that kind of work. And so, you know, whether it's solving a problem for, you know, a particular group of people or whether it's, um, you know, getting to some level of truth, it's, it's really interesting where this is going to lead us because it's going to ripple back out into society in a lot of very, very interesting mm -hmm. ways and in ways that we really haven't seen technology do. Well, this is why open source is so important. When uh, yeah. Rachel was talking about what she wants to focus on for next year, think about it. If we can all share mm -hmm. those kind of things mm -hmm. happening, then we can all learn how to make this be more utopian yeah. instead of dystopian yeah. and, and more valuable yeah. uh, in general. That the open, being open um, is what helps the whole space. And given that every company is a technology company, so true. That means anymore. It's true. Yeah. That it's just, it helps everyone yeah. uh, to be this way. And, you know, Oscon is the place where that can happen. Yep. So Absolutely. we're helping facilitate what we think is a generally good thing. Yeah. One of the things that I have as a goal for devchat.tv is to cover technologies that are up and coming things that we're probably going to have to deal with on a more regular basis in the future. Some of these include AI, VR, and one of them is blockchain. So I reached out to one of the experts that I knew, Gregory McCubbin, and we pulled together a few other people and we've started a podcast called Adventures in Blockchain. So if you're looking at blockchain as something that you may want to work in, something that you're curious about learning more about, or something that you just want to keep current on until you have the opportunity to make a career jump and go over and work in blockchain and crypto, then definitely check out Adventures in Blockchain. You can find it at adventuresinblockchain.io. Now, we're kind of at the end of the time that we have scheduled. Do you have a few more minutes? Because I have a few more questions. Sure. Um, so one question, you were talking about the problem-solution yeah. approach, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm looking at OzCon and thinking, okay, this is a solution to what? Like, what kind of people are you trying to reach? Sure. What kind of an effect are you trying to have? What problems are you trying to solve with something like OzCon? Yeah, so I really look at OzCon. I mean, if you look at our, our audience, it's uh, a lot of sort of just software development people. Um, then we do have some IT ops people. Mm -hmm. So I really think of this as, um, I guess, not specialists, like sort of general developers. And as we see in our other conferences, um, you know, that specialize on data and AI right. and IT ops, as it sort of like democratizes and becomes a part of sort of general development, I want to make sure that, um, developers are armed with the knowledge because it's not just one thing anymore. That's, right. I guess, what I look at with OzCon is that they need to know a little about a lot. And then once they do need to know more about one thing, then they can move on to like one of our other conferences or read a book or, you know, right. talk to somebody. So that's sort of what the problems I'm trying to solve um, generally at OzCon. You know, we did a ethnography study and we talked to developers. One developer captured what Rachel was saying really well. He said, I'm bad at a lot of things. And I think that that's the kind of future and that mm -hmm. kind of describes this kind of audience. Not that they're bad, but that no one calls themselves a Perl programmer anymore. Oh, right. Right? right. They're a developer and they're mm -hmm. doing multiple tools, multiple data sources and so yep. forth. So you have to, you do have to know a lot. And um, I think that's one of the ways us kind of evolved to supporting people who need to know a lot. Yeah. A little about a lot. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The, the other question I have, and this is something that I see at a lot of conferences, is that uh, people come to conferences, they have a lot of conversations, mm -hmm. they get really excited, and then they go home and they go back to normal. 
So what kinds of conversations should we be having throughout the rest of the year until next year's OSCON? And how do we make that happen? Well, so my hope is that, so the first two days of OSCON are the tutorials and those are more um, the the content and the frameworks and the programming languages Mm -hmm. that are here now. And right. so I'm hoping people are actually learning things that they can use next Monday. That's like the dream. I right. can't let that go. Um, and then it's more, I guess what I would say is what you've seen at OzCon, what you've talked about in the hallway, I hope that influences how you are thinking and starting to plan projects in the next sort of 12 months, maybe right. six months, because then I want you to put in, you know, a proposal for next year. Right. So, um, but it's more about making sure that people are aware and thinking about these things and understanding, you know, if they're like introducing someone to like uh, streaming data or real time data mm-hmm. and, and giving them a little bit of insight into that might answer a question um, that was really, you know, difficult for them to figure out. And now they can go back and talk with their colleagues about it a little bit more with um, some more information. So, um yeah, I mean, I guess I would say keep them keep it going. You know what I mean? Keep yeah. learning. And I guess also I, it's a reminder to contribute to open source. Uh, I'd like to see we did this. Did you see that Tetris thing out there? Uh-huh. I I'm surprised that the contribution thing is not higher than it is. I'd like to see that one off the charts. Right. So one of them was off the charts. Yeah, it was the it? coding one, which is not surprising. <laughs> Followed by vacation, I think, which I applaud. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I think we want to make sure that we're not just using open source, but that we're contributing. Yeah. And I, I hope we can inspire people to do that. Yep, absolutely. I think the evidence too is that people do have taken this back. I mean, not that Oscon is solely responsible for the open source movement, yeah. but clearly we've seen Yeah, but it's part of the conversation, it's part of the movement. Absolutely. Yeah. And I also think people are pretty jazzed. And I think that whatever the kind of nonverbal communication that happens, that when they go back to their place, they have that glow. Yeah, that's and, true. And that people will, yeah. you know, will say, wow. Re-energized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So you mentioned um, in six months, submit a proposal. Yes. So, I mean, barring any major changes if things kind of continue on the track that they're on now and, mm-hmm. you know, things kind of wind up in six months where you think they'll be, what kinds of proposals are you looking for? So, uh, yeah, so it opens around Thanksgiving. I forget. Sometimes it's before, sometimes it's after. Right. Actually, I always encourage people to write it during Thanksgiving. That's right. There you go. Uh, I'm like, want to get away from your family? Go write a proposal. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I mean, dear, I'm working. Right? I mean, <laughs> the stuff that we're looking at today are, um, is AI and putting that into production. Uh-huh. That's something that we're looking at a lot. Um, I still want to see if we can get more sort of blockchain stuff going. Uh, either it's going to make it or not. I'm not sure yet. But like Tim has said that it's like stuff comes along slow and then mm-hmm. pops. So I kind of want to li- leave a toe in the water mm-hmm. with the blockchain stuff. Uh, not necessarily the cryptocurrency stuff, but all of the others. No, I hear you. We just started a blockchain show. So. Yeah. Okay. There you go. So we're both got a toe. Yep. Uh, I want to see that. Um, I'd like to see... Again, case studies do really well Mm -hmm. and sort of case studies of failure. I want to see, I feel like I want more sort of new language and new framework stuff. I feel like we were a little low on that this year. Um, But yeah, usually around September is when I'm like, hmm, what has changed? (laughs) So it's a little early, but that's sort of my early thoughts. Sounds good. Is there anything else you want people to know about OSCON? The only thing I would say is kind of going back to proposals is that um, I want, like, if you're unsure about sending in a proposal, just send it in. Yeah. Because I feel like some people need a push. Mm-hmm. And we really, what really makes OzCon, um, I think sort of like Switzerland in, in the world of open source is that I want really diverse voices. 
Right. And I want to be able to, um, you know, hear someone that's been working in open source for 20 years next to a person that thinks something's wrong with it and has mm-hmm. been working with it for three months. And, and maybe they need to be taught something, but maybe there's a kernel of truth to what right. they have. Um, but yeah, I think that diversity is what will fuel OzCon and open source for the next 21 years. Well, and that's that's ultimately, in my own opinion, where things progress, right? Mm-hmm. It's where people with different perspectives come together. Yep. And then they talk through the merits of their position. Right. You know, I, I wish that we saw a little bit more of that in some of the other discourse that's out there, right? But um, here, I mean, we're all aiming for the same thing. Right. We all benefit from the way this movement goes. And I don't see any vast ideological differences in opinion. Usually it's more the, how do we get there that we're arguing about? And so, you know, understanding that everybody's coming from that place. Yeah. You can have some really interesting conversations with, okay, how do we help maintainers? How do we help Mm -hmm. um, contributors? How do we get more companies doing corporate open, open source? What does that look like? You know, how do we make sure that they're contributing in ways that really move the community forward? Right. And and so, yeah. So by having those conversations, I agree with you. Um, if, if we have all the old dogs in here, they're all going to sit around and agree with each other for hours on end. And it's not going to move the conversation forward. Right. Yeah. It's the, it's those chance encounters. It's yeah. the new projects that learn from the old projects, old projects learning from new projects. It's just just going to mix it up. Yeah. There's a lot of research. Cognitive diversity is the best way to move forward. Um, yeah. Cognitive diversity. I like that. I, yeah, I might steal that. <laughs> it's been a theme. Well, we've already wrote something about it in our future of the firm report. Nice. But um, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, but it's true. I mean, it's uh, it's fine. I'll steal it with attribution. Great. Sounds good. <laughs> um, so one last thing: uh, where do people get information about OzCon, and then in particular, if they want to see what the two of you are working on? So OzCon. OzCon.com. Is mm-hmm. all things OzCon. And then I guess I would send people to just O'Reilly.com and you can find your way around there when we've written stuff. Right. Yeah. We're starting a radar oh, yeah. sp- specific thing next month. So the stuff that my group produces around trends and so forth. And, and we get pretty meta. And Tim is very meta these days. I, I, I want to see this. I want to I want to dig into that and just see where you think things are going. Cause yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty interesting. So we've been doing stuff. We've got this next architecture piece coming out in August where we talk about kind of what we see going on around the cloud, mm-hmm. Kubernetes and all that, um, and including what's hard about it. We did that future of the firm piece. We're going to have a little more uh, going there. We're looking more into serverless, which tends mm-hmm. to get people uh, riled up <laughs> in, a, in the best way. You know, the, yes. I love hearing people who are anti it and pro it. It's, oh, yeah. Because we're still figuring a lot out. So, um I don't know what the URL is yet because it's we're just in the uh, the wireframes are being created right now, but it'll be soon. So rally.com will be a great way to navigate there. Yeah, L- let us know when that comes out because we can definitely. Uh, I'd love to get you back on the one of the shows and just have a conversation about okay, you know, how do you look forward? How do you see what's coming next? Mm, that's um, the question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, no, I'm happy to talk about it because it is a bit of alchemy, but there's also a lot of data and talking to yeah. people. Well, it's interesting that that's the question I get asked probably more than anything else is how do I stay current? Mm -hmm. And part of it's like, well, what are you working in? Go learn more about that. But 
I think you should be spending at least 20, 25% of your time looking at what's coming next and how do I learn more about that, mm -hmm. right? Or what are the big trends like Kubernetes and things like that, right? I don't know if I'm ever going to use it, but I should go learn it. You know, increasingly people, because every company is a tech company, people are having to make decisions about stuff they had no training in. Oh, yeah. And I mean, one of our philosophies in our content is that we want to be able to give people like that some confidence mm -hmm. in things that they hadn't tackled before. So it's not just for practitioners, but we actually go a little higher level and try to like, okay, what is it about ML and AI that makes it hard? What is it about Kubernetes that makes it a no-brainer or what we have to figure out? Right. And stuff that there's nuance to all this and the more you can know the more you can make better decisions yep i 100 percent agree so are you on twitter both of you or? oh yeah it's um the really easy to remember r vermiliotis so you'll have to oh, like yeah. write that yeah i am not okay but we publish pretty regularly so i get okay. you i can get notes to roger <laughs> yeah i <laughs> Yes, maybe I should be more on Twitter, but I have not. Whatever floats your boat. I just, I know that uh, some people, they listen to these and then they want to go connect with the people who are on the shows. So, well, I'm the only Roger at O'Reilly. So my email is roger at O'Reilly.com. Oh, there you go. Anyone wants to contact me directly, I'm happy to have my inbox flooded with photons or whatever. <laughs> All right, good deal. Well, um, I, I've already kept you an extra 10 minutes, so we'll go ahead and wrap up. But uh, thanks for coming and talking to me. Thanks. Thank you. Great conversation. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.